0: joined again today by Dr. Sean Tassone. He was one of our original podcast guests back in 2018, episode number four. He's one of my favorite gynecologists and absolutely one of my favorite people to follow on social media. He gives you information in a really straightforward fashion. He's also the author of a book I recommend frequently, The Hormone Balancing Bible. Today, we dove deep into the impact of the Women's Health Initiative The differences between bioidenticals versus synthetic hormone replacement therapy, contraceptive options for middle aged perimenopausal women, the impact of Assure, a sterilization procedure, why so many OBGYNs and other medical professionals are so burned out, different options for thyroid health, the basis for the hormone balancing Bible, the Shine protocol, some of his favorite supplements, and those he thinks are terribly overused. I'd also like to thank one of our recent podcast reviews. This is from EMS girls three via Apple podcasts. This was such an interesting episode with Dr. Tan. I love Dr. Tan's enthusiasm as well as how blown away I was from the information. I'm not only going to listen again, I'm sharing it for sure. Thank you, Cynthia. EMS girls three. Thank you so much. We love this feedback. I truly, truly can't tell you how much I love and enjoy being able to share the brilliance of so many incredible researchers and healthcare professionals. I hope you will enjoy this podcast today with Dr. Tassone as much as I did recording it. Well, Dr. Tassone, it's so good to have you back. Some of my listeners may not know you were one of the very first podcast guests on Everyday Wellness back when I was co-hosting it with Kelly. Oh, yeah. 2018, and I think you joined us from your bed. I think you were laying in bed and saying, "I'm joining you from my bed. I haven't gotten up yet." We just thought
1: that was so cool. How are you today? Cooler, stupid. I mean, now look at me. I'm wearing my pink. <laughs> I got all my stuff. I got my figs on, so I'm in with the figs now. Okay. I mean, it's amazing. Doing good, busy. You know, for GYN OB. I mean, I don't do OB, but for us. Uh, end of the year is always busier because deductibles are met and, you know, people want their surgery and uh, people get pregnant at Christmas time or a little after. So they deliver (laughs) their babies in October, November. So yeah, pretty busy right now.
0: Well, good. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us today. And I've been really excited and looking forward to the conversation. And I think I really want to start, I would imagine that we both started in the medical field, late 1990s, early 2000s. And What were some of the changes that you saw post women's health initiative? So the listeners here are very Mm -hmm. savvy, but I've started asking more of the GYNs that come on to talk about the climate. You know, you were pre women's health initiative and then, you know, I'm sure that it influenced your practice. What are some of the things that you had to do differently or navigate differently? I know that, you know, with your background, you're very, very pro women's advocacy and, you know, helping your female patients, you know, have this ability to lean into, understanding the role of hormone replacement therapy. Obviously we know it was a completely junk study, unfortunately, that's influenced an entire generation of clinicians and has made women very fearful about hormone replacement therapy.
1: What I'm fascinated by, I I thank you for making me younger because actually I think I was in practice in the early 19, probably mid 1990s, but the women's health initiative So before that I was prescribing, we used to prescribe when I was in residency, I mean, everybody got Premarin and Provera, like everybody, like you didn't even get asked. You just gave, were (laughs) given it. And then the Women's Health Initiative came out and basically said there was an increased risk of breast cancer and everybody stopped it. But the the risk was like one in a thousand. I think it did a really, I did a podcast on my own a couple of weeks ago on this because it's so prevalent to this day. And it's not just, I mean, how many patients come in and say, well, I started on the estrogen you prescribed. And then my sister told me I shouldn't take it because it caused breast cancer. So I stopped it. And I was like, do you honestly think I would give it to you if it caused breast cancer? But it's so prevalent that even doctors, like you said, colleagues of mine that won't even prescribe it. And it's its so ridiculous because if you do a deep dive on it, which is hard because it's really complex. It wasn't necessarily that it was a bad study, but what they didn't tell you was bad in the sense that all the women in the study were over the age of 63. Well, they already have a high risk of breast cancer. The medications used were a total synthetic Prempro. pro but the primary and only arm had no increased risk of breast cancer that. So the combination arm did, but the, the estrogen arm didn't. And they kept that arm going. And actually there was a 50% decreased risk of colon cancer. And you don't hear about that. You just heard about. And what's funny is all the bad stuff that they said was already in the package insert for that medication. So it really wasn't anything new. It's like somebody finally just justified the package insert and nobody reads those obviously. (laughs) And then can we even compare that to bioidentical hormones? I mean, Premarin, I just had a patient come in today, this morning that was on Premarin. I couldn't believe it because I didn't even know people still prescribed it to be perfectly honest, but I guess it's still out there, but I, most doctors now use bioidenticals, I think.
0: Well, and it's interesting. I have a nurse friend who was just placed on estrogen only despite still having a uterus. Mm. And she came through wow. a program of mine and we did a Dutch and sure enough, she was estrogen dominant. She's predominantly metabolizing estrogen down a non-beneficial pathway. And so we had this conversation and then I referred her to someone in the state that she lived in. Cause I said, you need to follow up on this. Mm. And she said, I, you know, I'm an EMER nurse. How would I know that, you know, this is not considered to be standard of care. I said, well, I'm glad that they're talking to you about HRT I just think that there certainly, and she's in menopause, let me preface that. I just think it's really important that women understand what their options are. And there are certainly, you know, many clinicians, many GYNs like yourself and others that are friends of ours that are prescribing bioidenticals. And I think it makes a big difference when you're looking at that versus a synthetic hormone replacement therapy. I
1: mean, the synthetics work. They just have, in my opinion, more side effects because They hit the receptor so much harder. I think, in general, Premarin is probably seven times harder than on your body than a bioidentical is. And it's just because it's a synthetic. It's an endocrine disruptor, just like plastics and things like that. So that's why those have increased risk of cancer because they don't hit the keyhole right. It's like you unlock the door, but the key doesn't fit and you ruin the lock because you're turning so hard. That's what a synthetic hormone does. And it's over time, it's going to damage the DNA of that cell. And I think we also know a little bit more about dosing too. And I think oral... Estrogen, it metabolizes in a more negative way than a topical estrogen does. And most providers, like you said, they just don't know that. And I'm amazed that somebody in this day and age would even give unopposed estrogen in a menopausal woman with a uterus. That's fascinating to me. But it just shows you there's weirdness on both sides not prescribing. And then when they do prescribe, they don't even know the protocols.
0: Exactly. And I I think one hot button topic that I know we've talked about as sidebar consults many times but came up in questions that listeners were submitting was what are your thoughts on pellet therapy as an option? So we talked about oral, we talked about transdermal, we talked about patches. What are your
1: thoughts on pellets? Well, I know you already know the answer to this, but I I have not pulled any punches on the fact that I hate pellets. And I, I guess I'll put this out there first. If I put in pellets, I would be rich because the number of women that I see, so don't get me wrong, I've thought about it and I cannot ethically bring myself to do it because the things that I know about them. And I have a blog post and there's about 10 things that I don't like, but the main things are, first of all, they're bioidentical, which is good, but you can't get a good dose. Most of the women, if not all pellets, I just saw a lady this morning again, She's six months post pellet with estradiol and testosterone and her testosterone levels are still four times the normal level for a woman six months later. So who knows what it was five months ago? I mean, geez, you must've been through the roof. So that's it. You can't control levels very well. It's a minor surgical procedure. I mean, you do have to numb the area up. You got to dig a little pocket with this needle and you got to put it in. There's complications from that. If you don't like the effect, you can't take it out. The people that are putting them in And I'm not trying to, I'm speaking in general terms because I have a friend that's a GYN that puts them in and I'm sure he does a good job, but most people that put them in, they'll go to a course put on by one of the companies and it's a weekend and then they come back and what they do is they'll draw the tests, they'll put it into the formula that the company gives them and then they'll come up with the dose and they buy the pellet from the company. The company's charging them $900 a month to be a part of the organization. So it's a pay to play and they pass that along to the patient who has to pay I think pellets come out to probably $150 a month, whereas a cream is 45 bucks. So it's more expensive in the long term. And there's just no reason. I always say pellets are for animals, not for humans, because they've been used forever in animals and they work. But, you know, we obviously aren't animals. And I just think that most women that go on them usually will go on them for a little bit and then they'll go off of them because they just don't like the effects.
0: It's been my experience. I've never myself had a pellet just because of what I've discussed with colleagues and yourself and others. But I'm guessing that most people are getting pellet therapy because they want testosterone. And I just seemingly from what I've read and what I've experienced, there's so many other options. I know that, you know, unfortunately I was on another podcast and and someone was saying, well, you know, these two doctors I spoke to said that women don't need testosterone. Oh, and I okay. said, that's interesting. <laughs> and so we had a whole very interesting discussion of where I disagreed with that. But I think on a lot of levels, it's been my clinical experience that women, if they are in need of testosterone, especially in late perimenopause or menopause, whether it's transdermal or subcutaneously, they feel a whole lot better.
1: Decrease to low testosterone in women, I have called the plague of the 21st century. The problem is nobody's talking about it. If you look at the FDA, there are 10 FDA approved testosterone placements for men, there's zero for women. There have been five or six that have come up for FDA approval. Uh, they've all been shot down for the fact that they weren't thought that it was necessary. And the interesting thing is there is a medication now called ADDYI, A-D-D-Y-I, that is for sexual improvement, and it's being promoted as the Viagra for women. So we've, we've approved that one. And the interesting thing about that one is that it's an antidepressant. So we're basically telling women that it's all in their head. Which we do all the time anyways. And what's fascinating about it is you can't drink when you take it. Now, what woman isn't going to, you know, in this day and age post COVID isn't having one glass of wine a day. And so the problem is if you drink and you take it, you can have a super hypotensive episode and pass out. So we just really do women a disservice in that area. And I do think and I hope that there are more people. What the problem is this testosterone to me is a serious business. It's a controlled medication, it's a controlled substance, but you have people abusing it. And just like you know, these prescribing you know, those pellets. And I think my fear is, is that the FDA is gonna glom onto that at some point. And they're gonna try to take it away because it's being kind of overutilized and used in a negative, I think a bad way. And so, my hope is that that never happens, but they're already after bioidenticals as it is i 'm on some committees we're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen they're at going after compounding pharmacies because big pharmacy wants it, and so that will be horrible if that happens. but I hope it doesn't. I hope women will rise up and counteract that, and they are they're starting to do that because I think finally you know to me it's misogynistic to say women don't need testosterone and That's like probably one of the most misogynistic things you can say because you have testosterone your entire life and then all of a sudden you're not supposed to have it. Now, granted, it's eight times lower than a male's testosterone, but you still got to have it. I can't tell you how many women I have seen where they have just had a complete turnaround from a little dose to testosterone. And we're talking about taking them from the basement of the house to the main floor, just, you know, (laughs) a little bit, right? You know, when I talk about hormones, I always say normal or abnormal first. So you're in the house or you're not in the house. But if you're in the house, most doctors will just say, oh, you're fine. You're in the house. Well, if you're laying on the floor in the basement or just your nose is poking through the cement <laughs> and you're in the house, that might feel like complete shit. But let's get you up to the middle of normal. And that's still normal. But for a testosterone, a 0.2 to a three point two, which is the middle of normal, That's like a 15-fold increase. And if I told a guy, I'm going to increase your testosterone 15-fold, they'd be like, bring that on. You know, I'll take that any day. (laughs) But for women, we don't even consider it.
0: Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered... Americans spend an average of ninety per cent of their time indoors and take about twenty thousand breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And in some circumstances, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I want to introduce you to a product by Air Doctor that has captured the attention of established media outlets, like CNN, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that have the potential to go on and make us sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day, breathe easy, money-back guarantee so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorrow.com and use code CYNTHIA. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 in value. Look at the special offer by going to a i r d o c t o r pro.com and use promo code Cynthia. I absolutely love my air filters. They're an integral component to ensuring that the air that my family breathes in our home is as safe as possible. I think it's a huge issue the the podcast that I was mentioning is the IF podcast. And at the tail end, I was saying, you're never going to hear me say this, but I, I felt so impassioned to say it's the patri- patriarchy. I said, it's two male physicians that told you that women don't need testosterone. And I'm here to tell you that every time I talk to a GYN, irrespective of their gender on my podcast, everyone talks about how important testosterone is. And I think okay, it's- so do me a favor- yeah,
1: stop calling it a patriarchy. <laughs> I'm going to I'm trying to change this. Yes. Call it a doctorarchy.
0: Okay, I call it the doctorarchy. Because Selective. who are
1: the big people out there talking crap about hormones and bioidenticals? I won't mention their names, but they're all women. All of them. All there's six of them and they they're so brutal. I have had to block them because they just they send their armies after you but it's a doctor way of thinking. And it was patriarchy, sure. And it's filtered down, but it's just that mindset that we're smarter than you. We know more than you. You don't know what you feel. You're a woman. And these are women telling women that. Somebody tells me, I always used to think it was funny. Uh, Women say to me, it hurts down there. I'm like, okay, I don't know what it feels like. And I don't want to know, to be perfectly honest. I don't want to have a baby, but I know it hurts. you know. And that's the thing. I think you want to find that provider like you that doesn't give you a hard time about ordering tests. Cause that, why, why would I, you know, I always love that when women go in to get their blood tests or they have the, I want to do these tests and the doctor's like, nah, you don't need those. Why would you even who just do it? You just, it's not, I don't lose money if I order tests that, and then just acknowledgement. We just don't even acknowledge it. You know, it's just same with thyroid. It's the same.
0: Oh, uh, thyroid is a whole other bucket. And I couldn't agree with you more that, You know, clinicians have to be open-minded. We're supposed to be lifelong learners. I certainly have learned a lot, you know, navigating middle age. Oh yeah, I I, still do. Yeah. I mean, I have a woman right now, I have a shared patient and she walked in and asked for a fasting insulin, which is like a $12 test. And her doctor Mm -hmm. said, you don't need this. And she's like, yes, I do. And she explained why she needed it. And I said, it's a $12 test. I said, if they don't know how to interpret it, then I'm happy to look at it for you. You have to learn how to speak,
1: doctor. You don't need it means I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. Like, I don't want to order it because what if it's abnormal? I don't know what to do. So it's like, that's what doctors, it's just deflection after deflection. You know, it's just like, like they order TSH and it's normal. But I had a lady who had a normal TSH, which is for thyroid, but her free T3 was 2.0, which is hypothyroid. That's actually a hypothyroid It's a diagnosis. And they wouldn't treat her because the TSH was normal, but she had every symptom in the book. And it's like, So I give her thyroid and here's what's funny. She thinks that I'm like this genius, wonderful human. All I did was listen to her and then replace what was abnormal. It's like, it's not rocket science folks, but the doctors certainly make it out to be that way.
0: Well, I think it goes without saying that a lot of patients are not feeling heard right now. So if you have someone that listens to you, you definitely want to lean into that. Another area where there were a lot of questions were, what do women do that are still technically fertile? So they haven't gone into menopause when they're mm. trying to navigate choices of contraception. Let's say they have a partner that's not willing to have a vasectomy. We're going to touch on a shore. So don't worry. Not but... if, not
1: if it's, they don't, yeah. men are yeah, babies. They...
0: <laughs> so what options are available? Because we just talked about how oral contraceptives or endocrine deceptors. And I, I think a lot of women start oral contraceptives, maybe in their teens, early twenties, without a lack, there's a lack of informed consent. I certainly was on them for years, had no idea what they were wreaking havoc on in my body, but even down to, you know, impacting muscle development. I mean, there's so many things or looking at lab work and my women on oral contraceptives, they look like they're in menopause. And so they just don't realize that's what's happening. What are some of your more common modalities or options you will offer women that are, you know, North of 35, not yet Mm -hmm. 50, they don't want to run the risk of getting pregnant at that point in their lives.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I always go on record saying I'm not anti birth control. I mean, I think for birth control, they're an option. I don't like it when they're used for everything else. You know, your car doesn't start Here, go on these birth control (laughs) pills. I mean, But for birth control, but then, like you said, let's talk about what can happen to your thyroid, what can happen to your testosterone, blah, blah, blah. But that's a woman's choice and she should have that. And there are options, you know, and there's low doses. When I was in residency, they were 50 microgram pills and now they're down to 10. So they're a lot weaker than they used to be. And there's progesterone only pills, progestin, I should say. So there's options. I think if you don't, and I have a lot of women in Austin that don't want birth control pills and that's fine. You know, I would always talk to them about, IUDs now. There's only one that doesn't have hormones, and that is the Paragard, uh, which is copper. Some women have a an copper allergy, or they have issues with copper. The problem with the copper IUD is that it's bigger than some of the others. So if you're nulliparous and you haven't had a baby or pregnancy, it's harder to get that in sometimes. So it may not be an option for some. There is Fexi, which has been out for maybe a year and a half, two years. Fexi just lowers the vaginal pH which is actually kind of an interesting way to do things. It doesn't, I mean, it makes it inhospitable for sperm and it's not necessarily a chemical. It's just lowers the pH. I have not as many women that use that, but I have some, the downside to Phexy is you have to put it in about 30 minutes prior. It's kind of a buzzkill. Condoms, obviously, you know, but they're condoms. That's always an option. I always say the best form of female birth control is a vasectomy, but Women don't have control over that per se, although they do actually have control over that. They just need to put their foot down on his penis. Actually, that would be the (laughs) best place to put it. And let me just put this out there. I might sound like I'm a good partner, but I've been divorced. So just, you know, I've learned over the years, but. This is if I'm being my patient's advocate. And then finally, some of my favorite things out there are like um, Daisy or Eye for Tracker, those devices that actually, now they're not technically for birth control, they're for fertility tracking. But if you know when you're ovulating, then you know when not to have sex. And so I will often have women, especially if they're very like, excited about learning more about their bodies and especially those younger like 25 year olds they really learn you know, oh i'm having pain well oh i'm ovulating oh yeah that makes sense or and my daughter she's uh, almost 29 and she uses uh birth control pills and it's just her choice you know she's busy she's got a job and for her they work and but she did just recently call me and tell me that her She's having heavier periods and they're more painful. So now we're working on like magnesium and fish oil and, and a lot of other things to help her kind of, rather than go up, I don't want her to go up on the amount because she could go from a 10 microgram pill to a 35, but then you're going to have more problems. And she just lost like 60 pounds doing intermittent fasting keto and working at 45, she put in a lot of work and she doesn't want to gain weight again. And so, but yeah, I would say those are your options. I think for women that are wanting to learn a lot more about their bodies, those fertility trackers are quite excellent.
0: I think it's really nice that there are emerging options beyond the kind of conventional options that I had, at, you know, during times in my life where I needed contraception and needed reliable contraception and didn't know what I didn't know. When we were younger, it
1: was a birth control pill. I mean, I remember going to Planned Parenthood with my girlfriend and that was the only option you had.
0: Yep. That was the only totally reliable option. Now on the other spectrum for people, you know, if they have a partner or significant other husband that's not willing to get a vasectomy, there was a form of permanent sterilization that got a lot of press and certainly got a lot of focus. And so mm-hmm. the assure device, which I know you've been involved in helping sure. women have theirs removed. Let's talk about that. It's interesting because I kind of pulled my girlfriends, how many of them had an assure mm. and sure enough, I had a few, mostly the friends whose husbands weren't willing to give vasectomies sure. yeah. and it allowed them to have a permanent form of birth control, but not without side effects. And would you be comfortable talking about some of your experiences as a clinician helping women, you know, navigate choices after they've had this place when they come to you for support.
1: So how much time you got? (laughs) (laughs) e came out in 2002. Uh, It was FDA approved, basically consisted of a little inner uh, rod, a straight rod with a coil around it that you would put into the fallopian tubes, but you did it. And this was the genius of it was through the vagina. So there was no cutting. Before, if we did tubals, we had to either do it at a C-section or we would have to put a camera in the belly button and burn the tube. So it was a surgical procedure. And this could be actually done in the office. And actually for years, it was kind of like the holy grail of birth control. So we'd been waiting for something for decades and it finally came out. So doctors were super excited. And sure enough, uh, the company that invented it was called Conceptus. They were bought out by Bayer and then they dissolved and went away. But the device is covered, unfortunately, with a lot of chemicals, polyethyl terephthalate, which is uh, like polyester, uh, just titanium, nickel, stainless steel, a couple of other things. And well, the reason that it works, you put the coil in there and then over three months, what would a uh, polyester do? Well, it causes inflammation. So it would get inflamed and then your fibroblasts and your white blood cells would come in and that inflammation it would lay down new scar tissue and it would close the tube over a three month period. Okay. Sounds amazing. And it was, and the data that we had given to us by the FDA, when it was approved, there were no pregnancies and very minimal complications. Now, as I got deeper involved into the backstory, and I've been to the FDA two times to speak against the product before it was removed from the market in 2018, was I met a woman who was in that pilot study. So the pilot study comes before it gets approved, right? So what they did was this was back in the days when we didn't have, you know, great computers. So it was all paper and she got the issue in and she had to fill out, you know, do you have side effects, heavy periods Well, on pain and periods, she put like, yeah, 10 out of 10 pain eight out of 10 bleeding through the freedom of information act. She got back her results. And the nurse on the phone wrote a line through the eight out of 10 and the 10 out of 10 and put no pain. So, and I saw it. And so it was basically fabricated and just like any, so here's the problem you know, you got a medical device, they spend millions of dollars on this device and then they do their own study to see if it works. That's the major flaw with this. So they're not going to say it. it's horrible because they'll lose all their money, right? So, uh, and I'll be perfectly honest. I probably put in about a hundred over, you know, two thousand four to six, and then I moved in two thousand and thirteen to Austin, and I had a patient. This was the last one I put in. I put one in, and about three months later, I had a doctor from Virginia call me and say, "Hey, I just saw this lady, and she's pregnant." And I was like, "I'd never had that happen before. You know, you weren't supposed to have any pregnancies." So I started looking it up and I found this Facebook page of like 4,000 women that had Isher and they were having complaints, bleeding, pain, they were having autoimmune issues, they were having joint aches and fevers, all this weird stuff, hives and all this stuff. Now I went in, I'll tell you, I went into it skeptical. And luckily they didn't kick me out of the group. Now that group's like 50,000 women. And what happened was I took one out And then I took another one out and then it sort of, I started seeing these amazing results. Like a lady that had had six years of a body rash, like everywhere. She said biopsy. She's seen six dermatologists, nothing helped. I took the coils out 12 hours later, the rash was gone, never came back. I had a woman who had no platelets, was seeing an oncologist because they thought she had cancer. And the oncologist finally said to her, hey, this was last year. Why don't you get these things taken out? We'll just see. Playlists came back to normal. I've just been seeing all these weird, you know, amazing results. Some of them were put in wrong. They're poking out. I had a woman come in and she pointed right here. And she said, it hurts way up here by her liver or stomach. And the doctor's like, oh, okay. She pointed to it and she he did an x-ray and that's where the coil was. It was way up there. And he still said, oh, that's not causing you problems. I mean, it's like, she literally pointed to the spot. And so I've probably taken out about a thousand now. And It really opened my eyes to medical devices. It's made me super skeptical about, and I was always not blindly following, but I trusted, you know, you have to it to some degree. And so it really changed my mind. And it's now gotten to the point where it pulled from the market on 2008, 18 bear settled for $600 million, which to them is nothing. And it's no longer, you know, being put in, but because we put in over a million, there's still women out there that are, I probably do 15 a month up still removed. I have women come from around the country. And my theory, my thing is you can only have them removed the right way one time. And what happens is doctors will cut the tubes open and they'll pull them and they snap and they break. And so I've had so many women come in with pieces and now that's what I'm seeing because doctors are trying to help, which is great, but they're just doing what they think is best and they have never removed one. So it's been an interesting ride. I lost my, I got fired from my job basically because of it. I was in a big group and they were still putting them in and I was taking them out, which I didn't have a problem with, but they told me I needed to stop and I didn't. I think it contributed a little bit to my divorce, but because she's an OBGYN and I was, and we were in the same group and it was causing a lot of strife and I just saw the writing on the wall and I I left. I mean, I, but to be perfectly honest, I've been in practice now since 98 and this by far has been the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And that's why I keep doing it because I've endured a lot of pain myself, but I see the results. It makes me feel good.
0: Well, thank you for the work that you're doing with women. You're helping to change lives. And for anyone that's interested in learning more, there's a really great documentary called Bleeding Edge mm-hmm. that I've now watched twice so that I could be fully informed and the amount of suffering that women have gone through in response to having this device put in. It was interesting. There were people that had perforated uteruses, mm-hmm. chronic. I have pain. tons of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. People that the
1: developed- lady, let me shout out Angie. Angie Fermalino, the lady that is the main lady in that movie. This all started because of one woman, okay? She formed a Facebook page because she didn't know what else to do. She had fibroids and a knee short and she had a hysterectomy. And when they did her hysterectomy, that was back when we were doing morcellations, where we would put a device inside there that would cut the uterus up into small pieces. Well, they basically shredded the coil and spread it everywhere. So it was kind of like having just little pieces of metal all over your body. And there's at that point, I mean, nobody could fix it. And so she just did this. I mean, just to show you the power of one person, she brought down bear and made them pay $600 million. I mean, that's pretty impressive.
0: That is pain to purpose. And I I think that on a lot of levels, it goes back to what we were originally talking about that, you know, ultimately we're here to serve women and, you know, we're serving women in different ways, but the power of one person is undeniable. And I'm so very grateful that it's now off the market. And for anyone that's listening to this, if you have eSure and you're looking to have this removed, we'll make sure that you can reach out to Dr. Testone after this podcast.
1: Yeah. This because podcast. just like everything else, women do go to their doctors to this day and they're told it doesn't cause any problems. I mean, the gaslighting is still pretty impressive when it comes to e
0: yeah, I think there's a degree of cognitive dissonance in medicine that this is the segue into talking about why are so many GYNs burned out or just healthcare professionals, especially given the the pandemic. Why do you think so many GYNs in particular are, you know, not staying in their practices or they're, you know, pivoting and doing functional medicine, integrative medicine. They're stopping the OB portion, probably because, you know, it's hard to stay up 24 hours a day and deliver babies seven days a week.
1: So here's the first thing. No doctors are starving to death. Let me just put that out there. However, it costs me, I don't do OB anymore. It costs me $28,000 a month to just run my office. That's not even paying myself. That's paying my employees and running everything. And so I've got to generate $28,000 a month to pay my bills. And, And then I got to make money on top of that for myself. So the reason that I think a lot of people get burned out is because like, there's a friend of ours in town here and she's functional medicine and she obviously charges cash and she will call me when she can't figure out the hormones and I'll see the patient and I'll get $85, you know? So it's like, I got to see volume to pay my bills to cover that. And the problem is not am I only am I burned out, but my patients don't like it either they don't like they want to spend time with me, so it makes sense, and this is it's only taken me probably ten years but i'm I'm starting to switch over to a hybrid model that'll probably roll out at the end of the year because. It's not about greed. I want to spend more time with my patient. I would love to spend an hour with somebody, but I can't bill for an hour. You know, I I, I can't do that. There's no insurance code for that. So I want to spend more time, but I'll give people still the option. If you want to use your insurance and you're okay with a 15 minute visit, then by all means, let's do that. But I also feel like me as a learner, if I learn some stuff like right now for me, I'm just starting to get into, I've been in integrated medicine since 2007, but I'm still just trying to figure out gut testing and learning about that because it's taken me a long time to go so deep on the hormones, but now I want to learn about gut and and genetics. But in order for me to do that, I got to have time and I got to be able to spend time with patients coming up with plants and stuff. So the burnout happens. I mean, my ex is 56 and she still does OB. She probably does I think she sees 50 patients a day. I mean, it's just, you can't do that. It's it's horrible. And it's not that she's greedy. She want, People want to be seen. They want to get in. And I mean, I'm even booked out now for probably a month or two. And I always feel guilty about that. Like I'd like to see more people. And I think, you know, also I, I do feel like if people spend money and this is me included, I am the world's worst patient, but our friend, Tracy Gapin, he does men. And so I knew that if I paid him, that would leverage me. So now I'm invested, right? So I think it's part of it too. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this for myself. It's self-care, right? And so, but the docs are burned out because here's the deal. I figured out if I charged what I bill insurance. So, you know, when we bill insurance, we don't get paid that we get paid what they want to pay us. But if I just got paid what the insurance companies were supposed to pay me, I could see half as many patients and double the revenues to my office. Well, it's not like I'm going to go buy a yacht. (laughs) I'm going to spend more time with patients. And so that's the thing. Like I said, we're not starving to death. I mean, I'm fine, but I could sleep a lot better. I could bring that, you know, I had a patient say something the other day about how I didn't seem like I was in a good mood. I think it was because I had a migraine or something, but you know, we all have off days, but I think when you're burned out, your off days probably are a lot more frequent than if you were happy and you enjoyed coming in. And you're seeing it all the time. I think the reason doctors are going to functional medicine, integrated medicine is because they're seeking for themselves. The brick on my head was my mom's death and how I couldn't help her as a doctor. I was like, I don't know how to help my own mom, for Christ's sakes. Uh, how am I going to help my patients? And that kind of pushed me. I think we all have some sort of catalytic invent that moves us in that direction. And for some, it's like, they wake up and they look in the mirror and they're like, who the hell is that person? You know, I look 10 years older than I am. I'm eating crappy. I'm not working out. I'm a hypocrite because I'm telling my patients to do all this. And I think that's sort of a, you know, it's not the money Some for some, it probably is. But for most of us, like you said, we really want to help people. I don't want to put women on birth control pills if they're bleeding or if they're having hot flashes or their thyroid's not working. I want to figure out what the hell is going on. That's why we go into this, right? That's why you wanted to help people and you have an investigative mind. That's why you, it's like, I kind of joke, it's like NCIS for the body. You know, it's like, we want to (laughs) figure this out, but how deep can you go? Well, that just depends. I mean, Okay. You have abnormal hormones. Well, what's causing the abnormal hormones? Is it your genetics? Is it your gut? I mean, so many options. Right. And it's fun. I think, I think it's fun. It's for me, it's like, I feel so good when I learn something and then I translate it into my practice and people get better. Eh, That's great. It's so stagnant. Just thinking about the old ways, you know,
0: Well, and I think that lifelong learning, I think for any clinician is really critically important. I always tell my kids that I'll be learning till the day I die because it's, I think that innate curiosity is what distinguishes good clinicians from mediocre ones, you know, wanting to learn more, to understand more, to evolve from where you are. Now you touched on thyroid health, and this is always a popular topic for us. In your clinical experience, are you using a lot of compounded thyroid medications? Do you feel like that's more efficacious? I feel like the nature thyroid, armor thyroid, I've seen so many patients over the past two years that struggle to get, you know, pharmaceutical agents that are uniform and, and not having recalls. I know there are certainly people that do well on things like Synthroid and Cytomel. Mm-hmm. I know that bioindividuality plays a large role, but are you using quite a bit of compounded medication or just the traditionals.
1: I probably use about 90% NP thyroid, which is in that same aspect with armor. And the problem that you have with the desiccated thyroid products is they actually, they make good products. And part of that is they have to have consistency. So if there's two standard deviations away from what it says is in the pill, they have to recall the lot. I haven't seen a recall in a couple of years, but it happens every once in a while. And it's usually because there's not enough. It's not because it's over. It's usually just, it's not enough. And so there wouldn't be any harm in it, but they're being open and honest with their patients. And I think that's great. I find that a couple of them have gone off the market. Nature Throid and uh, WP Thyroid have disappeared. So you got Armour and NP. And I've started doing the compounding Again, compounding thyroid is a learning curve for doctor and you have to figure it out. And it depends. It's funny because NP thyroid, sometimes it's five bucks. Sometimes it's 125 bucks. And I, so I have to play with the insurance. If it's a super high expensive, then I'll go compounded because it's $45 somewhere around there. And it's the same stuff. Or I have used Synthroid and Cytomel for uh, people that want to use their insurance. So it just depends, but I'm a huge fan of the desiccated thyroid.
0: Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeka during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support, to sustain energy, provide mental clarity and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body balances hormones, fights free radicals and neutralizes lactic acid all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first pur- That's 10% off your first purchase by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. At some point, we've all been sold a big slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the listeners are probably pretty familiarized with I was on NP thyroid and was doing nature thyroid, excuse me, for years. And then two years ago, they did away with my dose mm-hmm. and then you know to never come back again. And so then started the journey of mm-hmm. every other desiccated product, then on to synthetics. And then I started seeing a, co- a mutual friend of ours. And he said, You have the most interesting thyroid panel I've ever seen. I said, I don't want to be interesting. I just that sounds wanna... like
1: something Alan would say.
0: Actually, it was Aaron Hartman.
1: Oh, Alan. He's, he's... That sounds like the interesting. But yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad there's somebody that's open.
0: Yeah, no. And and so now I'm on compounded, but every two weeks I get labs drawn. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is that, so people understand there are multiple options, but also understanding like it can take a while to yeah. become therapeutic. Like I have not been therapeutic on medication for over two years. I'm hoping I'm like crossing my fingers that my uh, free T3, which is my active thyroid hormone right. will hopefully be within range. We're getting very close. I'm like, this is good. I can sleep. And my thyroid is finally And how many optimized. women do
1: you see that are on Synthroid? And they and don't just feel Synthroid. good. And I always say, that's like saying, because T4, which is Synthroid is the storage hormone and T3 is the active. So uh, having a nice T4, I always say is like, man, you got a million dollars in your bank account, but you can't spend any of it.
0: <laughs> it looks <laughs> good on analogy. paper.
1: It looks good on paper, but you're broke. And that's, that's exactly what it is. And so what are we going to do? Well, let's put more money in your bank and tell you you still can't spend it. I, I don't understand the theory behind that, but that's the endocrines notoriously mm-hmm. don't use T3 the, yeah. or they hate the desiccated products. But
0: yeah, no, no. Um, and
1: fine. luckily, I have a woman here in town that is an endocrine and she's all about it. So I can refer to her sometimes. But okay. I mean, how many times have you had it happen where you'll get this patient happy? On a desiccated product like Armor or NP. And then she goes to her endocrinologist and they take her off of it. And it's like, oh God, it's like six months down the tubes because they just didn't believe in what is going on. I'm like, how can you not believe in it? It's there. It's a real It's not like a ghost, you know, but it's a weird thing.
0: No, it's interesting. That that's definitely one of the specialties that I would say when I talk to colleagues who are endocrinologists that they're still focusing on studies from the 1950s with some concern about desiccated products. And, I'm, and I always say, you know, the patient and how they feel is what's most important, even if the labs suggest otherwise. And so- I have a I, thyroid
1: surgeon who's a friend of mine, drew her labs, same thing. TSH is fine, free T3, below normal. She said, can you put me on NP thyroid? And I said, of course. And she said, cause I have two friends that are endocrinologists and they laughed at me and she's a surgeon. She knows what she's doing. So I put her on it and she felt like a million bucks. And she's like, I'm not even going to tell my friends that I'm on it because they're going to give me a hard time. And I said that, I I just don't understand that if you feel good, why wouldn't they say that's amazing? You know, it's like, but that's what we run into all the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the cognitive dissonance that I think for a lot of medical professionals, I personally find really frustrating. Well, let's talk about your new book, Hormone Balancing Bible. It's definitely, it's got a unique lens. I like the archetypes. Let listeners know, like, what was the impetus for your new book, which I really enjoy. And I don't have you know, a
1: poster, so I'm going <laughs> to do this.
0: I have <laughs> See, a poster.
1: Some people have cool posters, not me.
0: But. No, you've got the green. it looks very lush behind you. So oh, tell me, it's tell plastic. me about your book.
1: So. I kind of mentioned it briefly, but after my mom passed away, I went on this little, I guess, you know, spiritual journey. I was 32. I was just barely into practice and I couldn't, you know, when your parent dies, you go, you know, so I was on this little journey. And as you do, when you have a spiritual crisis, you go to Sedona. So (laughs) I went to Sedona and I was reading this book at the time by Andrew Wild called eight weeks to optimum health. And at the time he was talking about this crazy stuff like fish oil and CoQ10. And I was like, my mind was exploding. And luckily his fellowship was in Tucson where I lived at the time. And so I did the two-year fellowship and then just, I had to go on even more. And I did some mind-body medicine work and stuff. And I started reading a lot of Caroline Mace and Sally Hogshead and Archetypes with Jung. And I just found that stuff really fascinating. When I talked about hormone imbalances with women, Sometimes I would just get that glassy look like, okay, whatever. But if I talked in stories like, oh, your thyroid is low. Well, that's an underdog. You're not living up to your full potential. And I'd start describing it. They would be like, bam, bam, bam. And I was making this connection. So I've been doing that for years. And so I had the idea of trying to put the top 12 of those archetypes or storylines, hormone imbalances into a book and, I came up with a quiz. So for women that are bored at midnight or whatever, they can take this quiz. And it just gives you a little bit of a starting point because nothing's better than actual testing but it just sort of happened. You know how we're in that group mindshare. And I was out here in Austin and one of the ladies uh, in the group was out here and she said, Hey, you want to grab dinner? And I said, sure. Can I bring a friend? And I said, Oh yeah, that's great. And so he's a guy sitting next to me and she's like, Oh, tell him about your book. And so I was like, well, you probably aren't interested because you're a guy, but I told him about all the archetypes and said, and he's like, I want to buy it. And I said, well, I haven't even written it yet. And he's like, no, I'm an agent. I want to, Mark I want to sell it for you and that started a year long process and so then you got the book deal and then write the book as you're well aware and what I have found is that I'm meeting so many great people you know yeah it's funny because you know you'll get a couple of negatives here and there but for the most part so many women are just like, I mean, I have, you know, it's weird when I was recognized at a restaurant the other day, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, some lady came up and she's like, I have your book. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. What do I do? (laughs) It's like, uh, you want me to sign your breasts? I don't know what to do. What do I do? But no, it was really, it's really been a great journey for me too, because it has kept me in contact with my mom. I just feel, it sounds cheesy, but every time I help somebody, I kind of feel like, I was able to help them because of her and, you know, it's a lot of work. It was, you know, it took me 15 years to get where I'm at, but for me, that's why I think it's especially rewarding is because, and it's not like it's junk science. I mean, you know, our colleagues out there that are dyed in the wool, allopathic, whatever, they don't think hormone imbalances even exist, which makes my whole book garbage because it's called the hormone balance Bible. But if your doctor ever says to you, a hormone imbalance doesn't exist but they give you a birth control pill for PCOS. What are they treating? And I always ask that question. Obviously you're treating hormones because you're given a hormone and it must not be balanced or you should wouldn't begin. So it's like, they just talk out of both sides of their mouth. And so here's the thing, hormone imbalances do exist. However, sometimes they're normal. Uh, puberty, pregnancy, menopause, sometimes in your menstrual cycle, they're not imbalanced, but they're supposed to be that way. When I think that it's a problem is when it's interfering with the way that you want to live your life. If you are taking a nap at four o'clock, if you are gaining 15 pounds that you just can't get off, if you can't sleep, if your you know, sex drive is gone. I mean, yeah, that's a problem. It's like blood pressure. It's like, we wouldn't just tell you to leave if your blood pressure was high and we shouldn't be ignoring this either.
0: I think it's really important for people to be reassured that there are a lot of things that impact hormone balance. And Mm. your quiz is really fun. I took it through the lens of how did I feel before I started some hormone replacement therapy? And I ended up with the nun, which I thought was hilarious, but the nun
1: is testosterone deficiency and obviously good nuns don't have sex, but (laughs) I also joke, you don't want none and you ain't getting none.
0: (laughs) And so from the lens of, you know, low libido, which is probably the most common symptom other than weight loss resistance, but your shine protocol is focused on spiritual practice, hormones, emphyseuticals, nutrition, exercise, and supplements. And this is my segue into, do you have favorite supplements you like to use Mm -hmm. in this protocol? I know there's a lot of bio-individuality, but I'm just curious as someone who recommends supplements on a nearly daily basis.
1: I did a podcast on the top 10, but I think, you know, who's going to buy 10 supplements. Uh, first of all, when I do supplements, I'm a person that likes to go. I'm not a huge proprietary blend person. I like just magnesium, you know, rather than a calm formula, I'm more of a purer, like that. But I think that if I had to pick three, that I think most women across the board would benefit from magnesium glycinate, a good fish oil, high dose fish oil, or flaxseed oil if you don't like fish and uh maca. I think those three things are essential for even young women, women on birth control pills, women on hormones, women in perimenopause expanding from there. Yeah. That's when I get a little bit more into what is the problem. Like if it's a, a an issue with detoxification with your estrogen, maybe dim, maybe activated B, B complex vitamins, if it's a progesterone thing, sometimes Vitex or chase tree testosterone, you know, boron zinc, you know, you can try things like tribulus terrestris or yohimbine. but those, you know, you got to watch blood pressure and stuff like that. So there's always, always options. And for people that the infeceutical, I had to get an eye because <laughs> the word wouldn't work. Infoceuticals are things like what translates uh, information to your body. Acupuncture, essential oils for those that like doing Reiki or healing touch. You know, I did some background on that. I'm a level one healing touch practitioner, which I don't know exactly what that means, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, so there's a lot of options and only for the hormone part do you need a physician. The other ones you can do on your own. And I think that's an
0: important distinction because many people don't actually understand there's a lot of foundational work that you need to do in conjunction with considering hormone therapy with your, your healthcare professional. And what would you say are the, are there supplements or are there tests that drive you crazy? Like a patient comes to you and they're, they've got a bag of supplements. That used to happen to me a lot like patients would bring a bag in cardiology of 20 or 30 supplements that they were taking on top of their 20 to 30 medications. So cardiology is not exactly the healthiest patient population, but there are ones that drive you crazy that are like button pushers.
1: Well, I think, you know, Back in the day when Oz was really promoting stuff, you know, like the green coffee beans and stuff, the fly by night supplements that when the claims seem too big, they usually are. I think, you know, testing, there's a few tests that I'm, you know, when you get testosterone checked, make sure they get a free testosterone, not just a total. And I would definitely have, this is debatable, but I'm not a huge fan of testing reverse T3. Um, it's getting nitpicky, but, and I also think we should be testing antibodies on thyroids for most women. I don't think we use FSH and LH enough. Those are your pituitary hormones. And we don't look at prolactin enough either. But as far as uh, supplements go, the problem that I have with supplements, like in a country, you know, you've just been going around the world, in a country like Germany or France, supplements tend to be prescription only. Like it's not like you can just go buy them and that just tells you they have powerful effects. Um, But I think that, you know, using things as a guess or because it worked for your friend um, isn't always the best way to go. The problem is, and I'm I know this, is that who do you talk to? I, I, you know, especially now TikTok and all these trends and stuff. You never know what you're getting into, and that's why I think it's good to have a few people that you follow, like you or me or you know, all, our, our, some of our friends out there that are really just you know talking about things on a level where. If there's a guy we both know, he cracks me up, but he's just getting into this stuff and he'll talk about his supplement line. And I can tell he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's just, <laughs> he wants to, but he just, you know, even I don't, I mean, you got to know, like, I like product out there called Zyflamin. It's a uh, anti-inflammatory curcumin, holy basil, rosemary and stuff like that. But I can tell my patients why it works because I've had time now to dig into it and, you know, or why, you know, I just had a lady, well, I need to be on B12. And I'm like, why? And she goes, cause I'm tired. Okay. Well, where did you even hear that? Because, (laughs) oh, my mom does a B12 injection every month or something. And well, let's figure out, maybe you're tired for another reason, but that's the thing I think that bothers me the most is that people spend, first of all, gobs of money on supplements. And a lot of those things overlap. Like there might be magnesium in four of the things you're taking and you're taking magnesium. So that's why I'm kind of a purist rather than the only supplement I use that has a lot of things in it is Zifelman. Most of the others Um, Like say a woman who has heavy periods. I always tell women that have heavy periods to get a product called yarrow, which is a flower, yarrow flower. And it works like trexamidic acid, which is a prescription that has a lot of side effects, but it really slows down bleeding. And you should just, it's like $9 or for sleep. I like to use hops. I've gotten women off of sleeping medication with hops before. And so I think my problem is multiple Proprietary blends because a proprietary blend means they don't have to tell you exactly what's like the amounts, and so that's where I have a problem. And and mostly just kind of knowing why you're taking it, not because your friend's taking it, but why are you taking it?
0: That's such a good point. And it's ironic that I take a couple different things to help with sleep: magnesium, L-theanine, GABA, and they're Mm -hmm. all by themselves. And I agree with you. And and sometimes when I'm making recommendations to clients, I'll say to them. We're going to use these separate entities because if something doesn't work yeah, or something do, causes yeah. a side effect, I don't know yeah. what's causing a side effect. If you're on a blend. All right, of- so
1: try nature's way hop 600 milligrams. It's like $12 on Amazon. I'm okay. going to be so rich, <laughs> $12. No, it, it works. I mean, it's amazing and it's been used forever, but I mean, it, it induced, I don't know the, I can't quote for you the exact mechanism of action right now, but it does work. And I get women off Ambien all the time.
0: Oh, oh, it's like talking about benzodiazepines like Valium and Ativan and Xanax. How many of my patients are completely addicted to that or Ambien or both?
1: Well, but they only the take nurse. half of the pill a day. I, yeah, I right. hear that a lot. I'm only taking half and I'm like, okay, well, that's <laughs> only half as addictive, I guess. I don't right. know.
0: <laughs> when I was a new nurse practitioner, I really struggled with sleeping because I was constantly worried I had made a mistake, which oh, is yeah. common that still with happens to me. Yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome. When you're new at something, and I remember my well-meaning primary care provider gave me Ambien, which didn't help me sleep. It it made me you know, feel groggy. And let me show you the back of my computer. Oh, imposter syndrome. I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As you are speaking, I put that mm-hmm. on there for a reason.
0: Yes. No, we, we are all constantly fighting those inner demons. Well, I could talk to you forever. Yeah. I had a, a bunch of other topics that we could have touched on. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to find your amazing book how to find your new podcast which i have been very fortunate to have been a guest on how to connect with you on social media and i always appreciate and value your transparency i think that it's so refreshing there's a lot of clinicians that aren't that way and and i think it it allows you know potential patients or patients to feel like we're real people
1: well thanks i think that you and i have a a really great connection and you know, the fact that we were able to share my mastermind together and and I've been able to watch you basically explode has been great. Instagram, obviously, Sean Tassone M D Appointments, Dr. Sean Tassone, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-T-A-S-S-O-N-E, or you can call my office at 512-956-0296. I still take insurance, but like I said, I'm gonna be switching the model. I have a Facebook page, which is again my name. You can see it. Consistent pattern here. Book is on Amazon. Actually, interestingly enough, the book is $28, but for some, I don't know how, but the last month it's been on sale on Amazon for $9.45, mm-hmm. the Hormone Balance Bible. So, and also with regards to fasting, because that's what you have in the background, I think every woman benefits from fasting. I don't buy into this. It's bad for some because, you know, like you say, you're talking about 12 hours a day. It's not like you're not eating. And I just think so many, I have so many women that just get so much better, bloating, weight gain, you know, pain in their pelvis. I mean, it's amazing to me what just not eating for 12 hours can do.
0: Well, thank you. Ironically, I think we're referring to a post that Dave Asprey had talking about women and fasting and there were the fear mongers kind of
1: swooped in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I might've responded to a couple of them, but. Oh, the more goodness. I do that, the more haters I get. So I try to back off a little bit, but yeah, but yeah anybody I'm, I'm around, I'm on the internet. I like to have fun and actually coming up because it's Halloween. I'm actually going to be a female gynecologist. I love it. <laughs> so I'm going to dress up like a woman and I'm going to have all the makeup and everything. And I'm going to interview some patients. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Well, I think that's fantastic. I can't wait to see that. Thanks again. Thank you. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend.